Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish, sponsored by our friends at Paychecks. Today, we are going to be talking about neurodiversity at work, embracing diversity of thought, and how inclusion looks when attracting and training new talents, a topic we love. We've covered it some on the show, and I can't wait to talk about it some more today, Trish. But first, the question for you. Here's the question. I think this is a good one. What luxury item or service do you feel is totally worth the price? That is so easy. These questions usually stump me, I have to say, but this one, something popped right into mine okay. and I get made, I get made fun of for it. So I will tell you when I am in Las Vegas, especially right. And you're at a hotel, you want to go maybe just down the street to dinner, right. To a nice restaurant, but it's going to take forever in the taxi line. I will get a limo every single time. I don't care. It is always worth it. There's always, you know, four or five people around you who are like, yeah, we'll go in the limo with you. Right. So it's, that's my splurge every single time. Wow. That's so funny. How about you? Well, I have a very similar answer and we did not talk about this beforehand, nor did you know the question I wrote down. I literally wrote it down on my little card here, which I'm showing for the audio listeners. I wrote airport car service. So it's a that similar too. answer. And, and in fact, that I went too. on a fairly long, my first business trip, I think I talked about it on maybe the last podcast. I, my first business trip since pandemic, and it was like a three city trip. I was gone for like 10 days. And, and then I even decided, you know what? Parking my car at the airport and paying for that, which is what I would normally do, like most people would do, it was actually less cost to get picked up at my house, driven to the airport, and then likewise on the way back. Not an Uber, not a taxi. I'm talking about like proper car service. It was totally worth it. So good good answer. Very good. I'm with you on, on that. We are very excited to welcome our guest, Ed Thompson. He's the CEO and founder of Optimize, a unique corporate training platform that helps organizations attract hire and retain talent that thinks differently. Optimize works globally with organizations like Salesforce, JP Morgan Chase, Deloitte, and IBM, building robust and impactful neurodiversity at work programs. Ed has also been a frequent speaker on the topic of neurodiversity in the workplace and is currently writing a book on the subject. Ed has relocated apparently to Denver, Colorado, lovely, uh, from the UK with his wife, Emily, and his new dog, Cleo. Pandemic dog, maybe, Ed. Ed, welcome. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, great to be here. Awesome. Uh, you want to weigh in on the on the luxury item question or you want to think about it? Yeah, you, you guys got me thinking about cars. I tell you what, one that, that didn't work that well. My wife and I were in the UK the other day and I offered to pay for her to get an Uber to Heathrow. It's about a 40 minute drive. Thought this would be nice. And I got the comfort Uber. With the comfort Uber, you can say, do you want conversation? Do you not want conversation? Oh, nice. And she was, you know, she's not a morning person. And so she said, definitely no conversation. I just want to rest, (laughs) just want to sleep. She's like, this is brilliant. You know, nice, comfy car, nice drive to the airport. Apparently within a minute, you know, the guy's like, hey, how are you doing? You know, you want to chat? So she said, just the whole thing just didn't work uh, at all. But um, I think for for me, I might go... um, elegant clothes blazers that kind of thing i i i'm a sort of feast or famine dresser it's either kind of you know a nike tracksuit or kind of an italian uh yeah i want to look good i want to i want to look good i want to feel good nice i love it all right well thank you ed for uh, joining us today uh again we're going to talk about neurodiversity at work and, and some of the things you guys do to help organizations embrace this and support 
people who think differently. I love that in, in, in the bio. Um, but maybe just to level set us and maybe just set the context for the conversation, Ed, uh, if you don't mind, can you share just your perspective of what do we mean by neurodiversity? And then let, we'll kind of fold in some of the conversation around workplace and hiring and training, et cetera. Sure. And I think it's, it's really important to, to start here. Uh, neurodiversity itself is nothing new. It's new that we're talking about it so much, but in itself, it's nothing new. It's one of the most fundamental things about humanity, in a sense, the natural diversity of human brain wiring. In a sense, everybody processes information differently. There's no one standard brain. But we know that within that human universe, some thinking styles and traits uh, can be more common. And the fact of those being more common can lead to norms that can disadvantage people who are in multiple overlapping neuro-minority groups, such as autistic people, dyslexic people, or ADHDers. So examples of that kind of norm in the workplace disadvantaging certain groups could be things like an over-reliance on interviewing as a way of assessing candidates. You know, that can disadvantage people who find that particular type of interaction and in a sense that type of information processing particularly challenging and stressful or noisy open plan offices that can distract people with acute sensory sensitivity. I think what's happened and you know why we're talking about this so much now is that we recognize over the last you know, 10-20 years that neurodistinct people so people within those groups I mentioned represent a huge demographic right and, and that's uh, got the, our understanding of that, you know, continues to, to develop. That also neurodistinct people bring very, very significant strengths. And while those air quote conditions have always been uh, diagnosed based on challenges, actually you look at the top of almost any field of life, whether it's, you know, sports, the Olympics, uh, business, you find neurodistinct, significant neurodistinct representation at the top of those fields. And we also recognize, thanks to disability advocacy, really, that many of the challenges faced by neurodistinct, neurodistinct people at work or in society are actually the result of uninclusive environments, uninclusive processes, or in fact, uninclusive people who aren't educated and, and, and prepared to welcome you know, those differences. Well, I think when we talk about neurodiversity, the biggest recognition should be that this has always been a fact of our humanities, always been a fact of our workplaces and of any human collaboration. We've just done a poor job of recognizing it, you know, celebrating it and leveraging it. You know what, thank you for giving that description because as you're sitting there and kind of talking about that, Ed, I'm, I'm thinking back over most of my career was spent in human resources. I've recruited and interviewed literally thousands of people over my career. And it's very rare when I think back of, of times where someone might've either self-identified as having some sort of any, you know, I didn't want to say a challenge, just, but a difference. I loved how you talked about it being neurodistinct. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like I, I don't think I would be in the minority, not always knowing when someone might have, you know, dyslexia or be on the spectrum. So can you talk about maybe like what you're seeing um, in organizations? How how can people know or or even attempt to know? Is that something that people are curious about right now? I I would I would argue that the 
the, the goal of, as it were, you, as you put it, attempting to know, in a sense, is, is the okay. wrong goal. And I think it's also almost an unachievable goal. Uh, a percentage of our clients come to us and, and, and that's their framework. So they say, how do, we, how do we know who's dyslexic? How do we know who's an ADHD? How do we get them to put their hand up? And, and then we know kind of what to do for them. And I think that's challenging at, at, at a lot of different levels in a practical sense. I mean, a lot of people who are neurodistinct have, have not had good experiences you know, in education or at work and therefore don't necessarily want to tell organizations that they need to see more from the organization first in order to be willing to, to disclose. And then lots of people who may be neurodistinct in the sense that they could receive a, a, a diagnosis haven't had access to that and don't have that self-awareness. So, so the very pursuit to say, okay, you know, let's get everybody who's an ADHD to kind of put their hand up, I think is, is challenging and, and, and difficult. And again, you know, you think about a recruiter and, and Trish, you know, you mentioned hiring people. Not everybody is going to tell you straight away. You know, some of our focus groups would say, look, I, I want to disclose, but I'm not going to disclose until I you know, have a manager I trust and, 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 and so on. So we're operating by definition in a world where we don't necessarily know what somebody's thinking style is. And, and nor should we be trying to judge, probably. We then have the issue of, in fact, people are so varied that there is no one solution for or, or no one type of support for any particular group. We, we have one client who on one occasion decided they wanted to do more for their dyslexic staff. So they got three dyslexic employees in a room and said, look, we want to do more for people like you, what do we do? They get three different answers. So I think both the identification and then the support is, is by definition you know, challenging and varied. So you might well be asking at this point, okay, so what do we do? And yeah, that's the follow-up, right? So if that's right. challenging and difficult to do and maybe yeah. counterproductive, as, as you said, Ed, when an organization maybe either comes to optimize or just, just in general, right? If, if I'm in an organization where, hey, I think this is important for us for reasons we can talk about, like, where do you even begin, I guess, maybe is, is the question. Yeah. There's where we begin and there's also how we, how we approach this. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, let me start with how we approach it and then I'll talk about how that works into sort of where we begin how we can approach it in a in a world where we know everybody has a different brain a different thinking style a different way of a different preference in how they communicate in how they problem solve um, in their strengths and challenges um, we would suggest starting with what we call universal design approaches so what can we do as a manager? What, we, what can we do as a recruiter? What can we do as a, as a work environment designer that optimizes things for everybody, right? That would be the, the, the starting point. And then the next level down is really, well, knowing that that's never gonna accommodate everybody. There's always gonna be things where somebody says, actually, you know, personally, I have this particular preference or need. You know, how do we respond to that in a very person-centered, an individual way and we allow people to articulate their own needs and, 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 and advocate for their own requirements and we don't say oh okay you're autistic therefore this is what you get or oh you don't have a medical note all right well we can't help you know that's not how to optimize our our team now now we also know from people in these neuro minorities that the biggest challenge they have at work is 
a lack of cultural acceptance. And those two things marry up to create that scenario. So we have to change that. And so we would train organizations and train the individuals in organizations to be more aware of this universality of neurodiversity, to have more empathy and a better understanding of what it means to be, say, autistic at work. And some of the common challenges and experiences of, of that demographic, same for dyslexic people, same for ADHDs and so on. But what we're not getting from that is, okay, right, autistic people are this and they need that. That's too simplistic. We're getting really a picture of, of more variety. And so that's where you have to go back to that approach. What can we do for everybody? And then how do we support an individual with their particular needs? That's great. You know, I was, was thinking, Ed, do you think that we we're just dropping the ball when people get to the work phase of their life? I mean, does it seem like, you know, whether it's, um, you know, K through 12, or even maybe a university that's, that's being more supportive of people who are neurodistinct and then we're dropping the ball at work, or is it something that's a challenge even before someone might join our organization? Is it something we just as a, as a society need to work on more? I think support is varied, you know, patchy, regional. Um, there's certainly people we've spoken to who've got to the workplace and had, you know, really poor experiences in education uh, beforehand. Um, and, and, and that may not be the fault of the institution, that may simply be because of, you know, societal ignorance, you know, bullying, right. we know, say, autistic people are significantly more likely to, to face bullying in, in education, you know, and, and, and at work. Um, universities, I think, are a huge mix. There are some universities with very, very strong neurodiversity support programs, but I would say those are probably still the niche and not the norm. So I think that that could be quite varied. But when it, when it comes to the workplace, I think the important thing is, and we've started to see this, you know, before the pandemic, I think, catalyzed by the pandemic. It's about respecting well-being as a really important piece of, of, of an employee's experience and recognizing that well-being is not kind of one and done. It's not, you know, we onboard people, we sort of, you know, ask them, are you comfortable? We get a thumbs up and then, you know, it's see you in six months. You know, well-being yeah. is an ongoing thing. And we all saw that as organizations with this pandemic where, you know, suddenly that kind of changes everything. And, you know, people are, uh, are, are, are displaced from their workplace. They have family challenges and so on. And so when we talk about neuroinclusion, we will, we will never have the same control over education and family stuff as we have over the workplace. What we can do is recognize that we have a role and responsibility to make sure everybody is comfortable on an ongoing basis. And if we apply ourselves to that, we can help include people at a cultural level, but also at an environmental level as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Ed, uh, you talked a little bit about um, sort of the approach, right? Sort of getting people to understand these issues, getting people to understand it's always been in existence, right? Everybody thinks a little differently and it's always been the case. Um, and, and it's really trying to create a mindset and an awareness, et cetera. Uh, do you then work with clients or is, is, is the next step or maybe a, an ongoing step to be some maybe targeted types of training and intervention? We, we mentioned, inter you mentioned interviewing earlier. I'm thinking things like maybe collaboration, work styles, like we're all having this call on video cameras today, right? But maybe not 
everyone wants to be staring at a video camera all day long, talking to people, et cetera, et cetera. So do you move on then with, as you work with these organizations to some more, some targeted kinds of uh, trainings or interventions? Yeah, we, we, we have a, a, a foundational educational offering, which we call Neurodiversity 101, which is designed for everybody. And that's, we very, very carefully put that together in thinking, what does everybody in an organization need to know about this topic and no more? Because we never want to train people on stuff they don't need, right? But that is just the basics of what it is. Again, we know most people don't understand that. A lexicon. So how do we talk about this? Sometimes we see organizations with the willingness to and, and the will to, to, to create this conversation, but without the tools. Some basics on, you know, what are the true experiences of some of these neuro-minorities? How can they overlap? What about intersectionality? You know, how does it play out if somebody is you know, African-American and gay and neurodistinct and, and, and what challenges, extra challenges does somebody like that face in terms of exceptions? But then we get on to some more practical stuff, again, relevant for anybody. So collaboration, communication, you know, meetings, things like that being able to support different types of colleagues, how to respond to disclosure. You know, some people have never even know the terms. There's nothing they feel they need to disclose, but for people who do, and again, you know, the LGBTQ plus is a community is a good example there. You know, for people who are wrestling with a disclosure, that can be an incredibly, you know, stressful and, and, and difficult process. So, you know, how, how, how do we respond to that? How do we support that? And then also just the basics of hiring, because, people get roped into that, you know? So the manager will say, hey, team, can you just interview, you know, Chris and just tell me if you think Chris would be a good fit. Now, what happens if just one of those people knows nothing about neurodiversity and says, yeah, you know what? Chris was kind of, wasn't really making eye contact. He Mm -hmm. didn't seem that interested. His tone was a little monotone. You know, I know he has the best resume, but actually I want to go with John. That's how we that's how we don't hire the best person. And that happens all the time. And it's to me the the most striking thing I've seen as a leader of this company is the fact that as organizations, we are regularly not hiring the best people because of a lack of inclusion. And and it's really staggering. I think we just assume that we are, but we're not. We always assume that we are because in organizations, we got in, right? There's obviously more to it than that. And so we have specific trainings for recruiters, specific trainings for HR, specific training for managers, who of course have a key role. And those all build on the foundation and the the basics. And and what we like to see, and I'm happy to say we do see, is we see great enthusiasm from people in those roles once they get a taste of this to say, I need more. And we have about 95% of managers, recruiters, and HR people who take our foundational training say, I want more, please, because I get it. This is so important. It's so relevant to what we're doing. You yeah. know, can I have more to, 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 to think about how I manage my team? Yeah. So it's, it's really sounds like the interest is there, which is great. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what are some of the, the business success stories or business results that you're seeing organizations that embrace this approach? and being open to this approach, are they seeing significant, you know, business success come out of this? Yeah, every organization we've ever worked with has had positive impact on at least one and sometimes more than one of these five things. So number one, hiring more people who think differently. 
we know that's important, not just because organizations are struggling to find talent, but also because people who think differently bring diversity of thought, they bring strengths and skills, and, and, and that can be a powerful thing. And to be honest, we still don't know on a quantifiable basis, what is the true power of greater diversity of thought? But I think we can all rationalize that this is a, a powerful thing that we should be building in our, in our team. So new hires, well-being, pretty universal has been that people have self-disclosed in organizations where they have brought in neurodiversity initiatives, neurodiversity education. So, you know, back to our point, Trish, about sort of mm-hmm. how do we know who's who, right? <laughs> You're not going to have people self-disclose when they've seen no evidence that the organization cares about them. But once there's tangible evidence, the organization saying, look, we care about neurodiversity. We're going to launch a training program. We're going to maybe do the kind of thing we do, which would be a, a kickoff event to all staff saying, you know, you've never heard us talk about neurodiversity before. Actually, it's really important. We want to make sure that you know, we include this across the board. Surprise, surprise, people start feeling willing to disclose in a way that they never had before. And that can be a powerful thing. You think about the, the challenge of masking. A lot of people describe not disclosing being incredibly stressful because you're trying to pass as neurotypical. And that's, you know, bleeding 30% of, of, of your daily energy this is how I work. And then, you know, you, you start sparking these conversations that lead to, to productivity. Um, what we found is, you know, again, everybody has a way of communicating, a way of problem solving, a way of organizing their work. You know, now, if I'm an employee and my manager knows about that, that's helpful to me. And what we find sometimes with people who are neurodistinct is it's not just helpful, it's, it's critical. If you know about that and you respect it, I can be incredible. But if you don't, you don't respect it, I'm stuck. So productivity is another, but I'll give you number three. So new hires, well-being, productivity. And some organizations have actually seen significantly greater productivity in teams that have become more neurodiverse. I think we have to be careful with that, not to imply that there's some sort of, you know, superpower of people who think differently. But I think that's powerful as well. Innovative thinking as well. We've seen organizations, several stories of, of teams facing challenges uh, in the pandemic. Uh, one organization, for example, where they had, they, their systems were really kind of overwhelmed with clients' uh, questions about insurance, just because the pandemic, suddenly everything changes, everybody's swamping them. And they very deliberately put together a team of people who thought differently. And they said to that team, come up with a solution as a special project team. And that team came up with a a tech solution to help manage that challenge. This is one example, but it's one example of the power of teams where we can bring these different um, perspectives. And then the last one would be retention. Now, not everybody reports on retention, but retention is a huge challenge for corporate America right now. I mean, as far as I understand, it's gone from, you know, one in four, very soon one in three. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, that, and that, that has such a huge cost. And, and you look at why do people leave? And you look at the data on why people leave. And they leave because they don't feel understood by their manager. They don't feel they have good well-being. They don't feel understood by their colleagues, right? And, and you know, you can start joining the dots there and thinking, well, not everybody who leaves is neurodistinct. But if we change those things, we're going to be changing that for everybody. And that's one of the great themes of, of really neuroinclusion, 
back to my point about everybody thinks differently, any universal approach to uh, acknowledge that and accommodate it has really wide benefits. Ed, I'm going to pause for a second. We were talking with Ed Thompson about neurodiversity in the workplace. Trish, we must thank our friends at Paychex. Yes, we should. Uh, they have released their 2021 Pulse of HR report, which sheds light on what businesses need to do right now to meet the new expectations of a workforce no longer satisfied by the status quo. Good, good, good pile on to the retention comment right there. The fifth annual report provides an in-depth look at how HR professionals are contributing to the success of the companies they serve during this transformative time to learn how your peers are navigating the state, the start of a new workplace era, download the report at payx.me slash pulse21. I will put that link in the show notes as well. Yeah, Ed, retention is is a critical one. I, I'm a labor market geek. I'm a geek on a number of things. I suppose we have our own, we're all, I should make that the question of the day on the next episode, Trish, like what is the thing you're, you're a geek about? But um, uh, I'm a labor market data geek and the quits rate just in mass, right? Just at, at a macro level in the United States is absolutely through the roof. Uh, it was an all-time record two reports ago, and it, it, it was close again on the last report, like something like seven and a half million people have voluntarily quit their job in the last like three months or two or three months in the United States. So it's a huge challenge. So I think to me, maybe, maybe that's maybe the last question for me Ed, is just on organizations you work with, um, whether it's the attraction and the hiring part, certainly obviously important in the retention part, how are they kind of really, uh, you know, seeing kind of the benefits of embrace, I don't know, just, I don't want to say casting a wider net or being more open-minded, et cetera. Like, you know, what, what's the sort of tangible results you, that, that organizations see from really thinking about the, these topics in a more holistic manner? Well, I think, I think you can go tangible at a quantitative level and you can say organizations like SAP, DXC technology, seeing a significant a jump in retention against norms, that's quantifiable. You can see uh, organizations like JP Morgan seeing you know, 50 to 90% greater productivity, more hires, uh, more people self-disclosing. Again, these are all uh, positive indicators of, of change, but, but I would actually call it to the individual case. And I think one of the powerful things you can see is, you know, in most of the organizations we work with, people are well-paid, they're smart, well-educated, valuable, people doing valuable work and nothing gives us more satisfaction than to see a, a really positive change at an individual level and now whether that's an individual saying thankfully now you know it's not just on me and we can have this conversation and people are going to understand the way that I work or whether it's a manager saying this is just changing the way that I think about my team no longer do I give everybody instructions the way I like to receive them because <laughs> I recognize that's a waste of productivity. I ask everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think that makes the most sense to it. Like that's the most impactful thing too, right? Like, like, look, mm -hmm. this is HR kind of we're talking about in training. So there's always that age old question of, oh, what's the ROI of this, right? So you probably have that conversation with prospects maybe all the time, right? That, sure. With different priorities, you know, yeah. some people will say that the focus for us is, you know, well-being, uh, whatever it is, and, and we, can, we, can, we can help them with quantitative data on that, but no one's ever more persuaded, particularly by something new, than by that feedback, by, by those stories. And again, not just the stories from the neurodistinct individuals, but also from 
the recruiters, you know, for example, the managers saying, you know, this is just opening up so much more in terms of how I work. Yeah, that's great examples. I think that's that's true with anything, right? At work, if you if you're seeing results that are personally impactful to you, then you're going to want more of that, right? You want more of that training. You want more of those experiences or that type of culture. So, right. I'll give you just one more example. I know examples are, are helpful. So, one of the organizations we've worked with, an investment bank, and they've done a, a really good effort at just getting everybody uh, a baseline familiarity with this topic okay so people are confident raising the topic they're confident talking about it they're confident saying this is something that we care about and so they've hired somebody who was struggling at a competitor was struggling to go up the ladder a really brilliant guy not so good with bringing in business and couldn't see a future for himself and he never disclosed at the previous employer, but he decided, right, next place I interview, I'm going to disclose off the bat. So I just want to see how they respond. And with our client, they responded effectively. And they were able to ask him questions of, you know, how could you, how could we make you be successful? You know, what would you need from your colleagues? What would you need from your manager? And he's now comfortable and successful in that organization. Again, one example, but in a world where people are leaving, we have this incredible kind of workplace transience mm-hmm. you know what is that worth what is it worth getting someone brilliant from a competitor just because we could have a conversation that yeah. they never could have yeah it's worth it that's it, and that's point. a great example i mean uh, this is slightly off the topic but i just read a story of a, a, a trucking outfit somewhere in the midwest i can't remember what state their signing bonuses are as much as forty thousand dollars if you're a, a, a licensed commercial uh, truck driver right now they're so hard to find um, I've got a good truck driving story. I'll tell on some other show, but, uh, Ed, this was really, really great conversation. The topic of neurodiversity is uh, beside at the top is important to us. We've been having a number of shows over the last year, year and a half on the topic. Our research is coming out soon on sort of inclusion and accessibility in the workplace. There's, there's elements of neurodiversity that we're covering in this research, which we're excited to launch soon. But, um, uh, the, the company's optimized that's UPT. I-M-I-Z-E.com. That link will be in the show notes. There's plenty of resources as well for folks to learn more. And then Ed, people can find you on LinkedIn and then uh, and, and the website optimize.com. And that's where we'll send them. Is there yeah, anything else us, maybe, uh, we want to share before we let you go? Find us on Twitter, optimize team, but yeah, best place to start website optimize.com. And if you uh, feel free to, to drop us a line We're we're running the first uh, of what we call neurodiversity virtual coffee weeks next nice. week, which is just 20 minutes with one of our subject matter experts. Just, you know, ask us anything you want on the topic. We know lots of people are new to it and hopefully we can help you, you know, get started on the kind of journey that we can see a Google or an IBM or a Salesforce, you know, be on and, and, and the results that they've seen. Yeah, absolutely. That- Ed, thanks so much. Great stuff, Trish. Good stuff. I love this topic. You know that. And uh, I'm glad we're able to cover it again. Me too. I think these are the ones where it's the most impactful and and really will will be evergreen, right? This is a problem that isn't going away tomorrow. So I think it's always good to come back and hear more about what organizations are doing and what you can do to help your organization yourself. So Good stuff. Thank you so much, Ed. Yeah. uh, Great. So good stuff. Links will be in the show notes. Remember to uh, subscribe, tell a friend, hrhappyhour.net for all the archives. And uh, for uh, our guest, Ed Thompson, for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bose. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time. 
and bye for now.